Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Don't you just uh, love those, or perhaps we don't get them so much nowadays, but don't you love when you used to get those formal dinner invitations? They used to arrive in the post, in a little envelope, fancy bit of paper. Today, they arrive by the internet. Uh, You may get an email, but most probably just a text inviting you to a party. But it's still an invitation. Maybe a semi-formal dress required. Uh, You have pre-dinner drinks with a few cheese and crackers given to you. Um, Then you look at the table. You see this wonderful table laden with food, all those delectable items. And then you get to the most important part of the evening, dessert. Got to have ice cream, maybe Black Forest, Gatto and Pav, very important. With that slide, you'll notice that um, the top one has a very formal setting, and the bottom one, that's pretty much what dinner parties are like today, very informal. It's an occasion, and depending on the host, it can mean that you're part of the in-group, because you realise that Johnny down the road wasn't invited um, to to the meal. Well, this morning, I'm going to be talking about a very generous invitation that is for everyone. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for inviting us here this morning. Thank you, Father, that you are with us this morning in this place. Father, you desire for us to come near to you, to know you, to rejoice in you, Father. Father, we pray that the words spoken this morning would be your words and would speak into our hearts And as encouragement, as a challenge, that your word would lift us up, Lord, this morning. We thank you, Father, that your spirit is working in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen. A young woman wanted to go to university, uh, but she couldn't afford the cost of the fees. And she was uh, a little bit estranged from her family. She thought her family were too restrictive in her life. So she chose to enter into a life of prostitution so she could afford to go to varsity. Learning of her daughter's plight, the girl's mother desperately sought to rescue her. Not having her address, the mother left a photograph of herself in each house of prostitution she visited. One day, the prodigal daughter saw on the mantelpiece of a reception room a familiar picture. It was the picture of the likeness of her first love, her mother. And beneath the words were, come home. Could there have been any more meaningful message for that girl to hear than the one that simply said, come home? Well, God desperately wants those made in his own image to come home to him. And we see that in the scriptures. There's a lot of verses that talk about that invitation to come home. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who, are lab- all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 7, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And in Revelation 22, 
The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Now, take your Bibles out, or should I say, turn your Bibles on, and turn to the Hebrew Bible, and we're going to read, do a reading from Isaiah chapter 55, and the first five verses. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labour for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you, because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Um, I read this passage a little while back, and I was taken by the description that God gave of this, this very interesting and unusual invitation. And so I thought I'd share some of these verses with you this morning. God is a very inviting God. But before we go too far, we need to, to clarify that, that God in this verse is not in just inviting us or inviting people to come to a building on a Sunday morning. This passage is not inviting people to a place, but to a person. Actually, the message of the New Testament is that believers are to take this invitation and to take it out into the world. The posture of the church must always be outwards to the world. If our posture is inwards, we become nothing more really than a very safe and comfortable club. Our posture needs to be to the world. Don't you hate it when you receive an invitation for something really wonderful? You put the invitation aside to another time, another day, and then you miss the opportunity to reply in time. I hope this morning that we will take the opportunity to RSVP God's invitation on time. The great and wonderful thing about God, that he is inviting us to partake of something special. And no text in the Bible shows us more vividly than the text that we've just read. Ho, come... Or as the, new, as the message says, Hey there, the prophet calls out loud and clear to all that can hear. This is an important announcement and is therefore prefaced by this rather unique call of Ho, come. And I think the translators had trouble actually translating this word Ho, so a lot of the translations actually leave it in there. But just to put this passage into context, you may remember that Isaiah, or if you're American, Isaiah, Isaiah is the, uh, the guy that responded to God when God asked for someone to take the message to Israel. And uh, Isaiah stood up and said, Here I am, send me. So Isaiah spoke a message that contained two parts, judgment and hope. Isaiah's message was that Israel was going to be carried off into captivity by the Assyrians as a form of divine judgment 
because they had chosen to love the wrong things. They desired other gods and the wickedness associated with serving those gods and God is judging them for those desires. Israel is being judged in short because of idolatry. Now the second part of Isaiah, which is often referred to as Deutero-Isaiah, and that goes from chapters 40 through to 55, he is delivering the message of hope. And that's the wonderful thing with God, that God often brings a, a message of judgment to us, but it's always accompanied, always followed up with a message of hope. Chapter 53 of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah there described in amazing detail 700 years ahead of time how Christ would come and suffer and bear the sins of God's people and die in our place and rise again. The prophet Isaiah sees the work of redemption as accomplished in the death and resurrection of Christ. God is our ultimate redeemer, which means that God rescues and restores his people. Then in chapter 54, Isaiah foresees some of the great blessings that will come to God's people. Not just a blessing to God's people, but a blessing to the nations, everybody as well. And this leads us to our chapter, Isaiah 55. So if redemption is accomplished, and God's will is that the blessings of this redemption spread to all nations, then it doesn't surprise us that God comes forward with a great invitation, not just for a few, not just for those who can pay their way, but for everyone. And what a great word everyone is. It's a big word. Imagine an evangelist about to hold a, 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 a crusade in town. He requested that the mayor send him a list of all those people in town that the mayor thought needed spiritual guidance or salvation. The mayor mailed him a phone book containing the name of every resident. The Spirit's list is like that. All are invited, for everyone needs to come. Big sinners, bad sinners, old sinners, little sinners. There's a nice little phrase here. Every face of every race and every place needs God's grace. I didn't make that up. This is God's economy of grace. And more personally, your name is on the invitation. You're on the list. And when I wrote that part down, it reminded me of a little uh, advertisement that we sometimes see on TV. So I thought we'd just play that video clip now so that you don't get confused about what we're actually talking about. If, yep. Uh. <laughs> 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 Do you need some help? Hey. M&M's, have them at your Super Bowl party. <laughs> no, play this part here, this is the most important part. We're on the guest list. Uh, that's the menu. Okay, so make sure that we're, you know, get the invitation, the correct one, that you're not on the menu this morning. Couldn't resist playing that. Now, I want to ask uh, three questions of our text this morning. So, who are invited, what are they offered, and what are they told to do in order to get it? So, verse 1, we find that first of all, the, the answer is there's two kinds of people that are invited. And the first one we find in verse 1. Verse 1. 
Good. Ho, everyone, come, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy, eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. The first kind of person that God invites to come to him is thirsty people who can't pay for what they need. So let me say a word to those of you in this category. You've come this morning with thirst in your heart. Now I might have to change this uh, little picture. Your heart feels like the brown grass on the port hills, which may not be so brown after today. However, uh, it hasn't rained for a long time. The things that you put your trust or hope in have dried up. Your family was your life, but they have disappointed you. The dream job no longer is there. Your money no longer meets your expenses. The habits you played with have taken control. You tried living a good life, but you never seemed to make it. Your life just never seemed to satisfy, and now the dreams have waited and almost died. You know there has to be something more to life. But now everything that looks good is out of reach. No money, no strength, no motivation, but at least a longing, a thirst. And the Lord says, you are just the person I have in mind. Come, everyone who thirsts and has no money. Sounds a bit like a contradiction. Come, buy, but you have no money. No resources, no bargaining position, no track record, no power, no prestige, no pull. God is inviting you this morning to enjoy the banquet of salvation. What you have, what you have done, or who you are will not be sufficient to buy this water, milk and wine because the price has been paid already. But there's a second kind of person whom God invites. And I'm glad because I think a lot of us who don't feel like we fit into the first category can fit into this one, if we're honest with ourselves. And this kind of person is described in verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labour for that which does not satisfy? In verse 1, God said... He who has no money, come. He talks to someone who had, in verse 2, he talks to someone who has money, who has the strength to labour. The first kind of person is spiritually bankrupt and knows it. They are thirsty and broke. But the second kind of person isn't there yet. He's got money and he is spending it. He's got strength and he is labouring. But what's the result? Frustration. He's not like the other guy, burnt out at the end of his rope. He's still spending, still working, dreaming, chasing, searching, experimenting. Different job, different city, different car, different house, different wife, new looks. There's still a lot of looking around left in this person. But still no lottery wins, no fountain of youth. Every triumph petters out, the applause fades. Retail therapy only lasts until the next shop. Everything starts to fade and the options get fewer and fewer. When you're honest, you know there is a deep feeling of need and longing on the inside, no matter how self-sufficient you look on the outside. And God knows even better than you. He has you in mind when he says, why do you spend your money for bread which is no bread and labour for dreams that do not satisfy? 
So two kinds of people are invited by the Lord. The thirsty that are broke and cannot pay, and the thirsty who think they can pay and work their way to satisfaction. And I think probably all of us here this morning would admit to being in one of those two groups. So that's who's invited. What have we offered? In verse 1, we're offered water, wine, and milk. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy, eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Water, milk, and wine. Don't these three correspond to deep needs that every one of us has? Water corresponds to the need for refreshment. When you are most thirsty and most desperate, most dehydrated, it's water that you want and nothing else. Psalm 23 says, God leads me beside still waters. God restores, refreshes my soul. God invites you this morning to receive refreshment, restoration, reviving, a new beginning. And then milk. Milk corresponds to the need for ongoing nourishment. When someone is gasping for life, you give them water. But when you want a little baby to grow day after day, you give them milk again and again. God is not just for emergencies and mountain peaks. He is for health in the long haul. He invites you not only to come alive with water, but also to be stable and strong with milk. And the third thing, wine. This is down Andrew's alley. Wine corresponds to the need for exhilaration. Wine is more than we need. It is not for our survival. It is a luxury. So we, we want to live and not die. We want to be strong and stable instead of weak and wavering. But that is not all we need in life. No matter how stoic, unemotional, phlegmatic, laid back or poker faced we may seem to others, there is a child inside every one of us that God made for exhilaration, for shouting and singing and dancing and playing and running and jumping and laughing and even sipping a nice Pinot Noir from central Otago. Think also, verse 12 from this chapter says, the mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song. God wants us to, have, uh, uh, to, be, to be exhilarated in our Christian life. So the invitation that is set before you today is for your deepest desires to be satisfied. It almost sounds wrong to say that God is interested in satisfying our desires. Listen, God would like to satisfy our deepest desires. C.S. Lewis wrote, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, falling about with drink and sex and ambition, when inf infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, said C.S. Lewis. So what verse 1 says is that God is willing to revive us from the heat of a central Otago summer with the miracle of his water and make us strong and healthy and stable with the miracle of his milk and then give us endless and ever-fresh exhilaration with the miracle of his wine. The last part of verse 2 
describes the quality and quantity of these benefits of water, milk and wine. It says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. The word good means that what God offers is top quality. It's the best there is. And the word rich food means there's a lot of it. We're not talking about budget offerings or a meager amount here. The water is good and it's plentiful. The milk is good and it's plentiful. The wine is good and it's plentiful. The Bible loves to talk about the riches of God's glory and the fullness of joy at his right hand. He gives what is best and it never runs out. And Jesus said in John 4, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give in him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then in verse 3, God tells us what the reality is behind all this imagery. It says, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. In verse 1, he said, come to the waters. Come by wine and milk. In verse 3, he explains, come to me. God is our living water. God is our nourishing milk, and God is our exhilarating wine. As the psalmist said, Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But we can be even more specific. He goes on to say in verse 3 that when we come to him, he makes a covenant, an agreement. What kind of covenant? The same kind of covenant that he made with King David. A covenant of steadfast, sure love. This means that when you come to God, he binds himself by an unbreakable oath to pursue you with goodness and mercy all your days right into eternity, with ever-refreshing water, with ever-strengthening milk, and ever-exhilarating wine forever and ever. Now it's interesting, the covenant with David, because David is almost often a negative example as he is a positive one. He does not have an unblemished record of faithfulness to God, yet is still the recipient of God's love and is promised by an unbreakable oath. So David wasn't a recipient of God's promises for his own benefit. Verse 4 says that David was a, a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples. And verse 5 says that just as David's life was a witness, our lives, those of us who find our satisfaction in God, will summon nations that were endowed with splendor. I love the idea here. God says that our new way of life is going to be so distinctive that people around us will take notice and will be drawn to God because of us. It's not that we're perfect, David wasn't, but God says he's going to make our lives distinctive so that those who don't know God will be drawn to God through us. And, verse, and uh, next verse says, See you shall call nations that do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. In other words, one of the great blessings that will come to the people of God because of Christ's death and resurrection is that all the nations will be touched. 
Christ's redemption is not just for the Jew, not just for us, it's for all the nations. Think about the original people who received this invitation. You will summon nations you do not know. You can only imagine how ridiculous this sounded to them. They probably said, you've got to be kidding, we're in captivity. They weren't even on the map as a nation. A little bit like the Palestinian nations in Gaza, inviting people to come to them to see something wonderful. When you are conquered by another nation and not even home, it's hard to imagine nations flocking to you. But it happened. Imperfect though we may be, as unlikely as it might seem given our current circumstances, God will draw people to himself through us. And remember, later on in this chapter, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways. This is the gospel, and this is the good news of God. And I believe the Lord is moving amongst us here at Opawa Baptist, stirring up a heart for people without Christ. For many of us, new ventures and mission are starting, messy church, community days. But it's not just what happens in these buildings. It's also being present in our neighbourhoods, our workplaces and our families. New power, new boldness coming to many. God will draw others to himself through the most unlikely people, people just like you and me. God's offered you an invitation for your desires to be satisfied, for your life to be distinctive. And in John 7, it says, Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. I read somewhere recently that we are called to proclaim God's word in such a way that we offer a nourishing alternative to the scarcity that is all too often dished up by our society. As the people of God, we are called to proclaim a new world order, one characterized by abundance and joy, by justice and loving kindness, without restrictions and without boundaries. And this brings us to the final question that we had. So we've looked at who is invited and what is offered, and now we're told what to do to get these benefits. So first, there are three commands to listen carefully to what God is saying. And so I urge you, as we close this morning, to take heed how you hear. Are you leaning into God's word? Do you spend time alone and listening to God and reading his word at home in those quiet times? God, please, this morning, don't let the advertisement, distractions for the world drown out this invitation to heaven. And then the rest of God's invitation falls into four steps. Come, buy, eat, and live. Remember in verse 1, he says, come to the waters. But in verse 3, he says, come to me. God himself is the water and the milk and the wine. I believe everybody in this room is somewhere in these four steps. And I call you call on you today to take another step this morning. If you are distant from God, you need to come, draw near. If you have drawn near in recent days or even this morning, but hold back from any transaction, analysing and appraising, you need to buy. I admit it's a strange, a strange transaction, there is no price, and you are spiritually bankrupt. 
You must take this water, milk and wine and count it yours, just as much as if you had bought it. Remember though, there is no such thing as a free lunch. There is someone who has already paid the price, who has bought it, and it's Jesus who paid, with it, paid by his life. The thirdly, if you have made the transaction and hold the water and milk and wine in your hand, you need to eat. God is not a thing to be studied, he is a person to be experienced. He is food and life and joy for the soul. And finally, if you have eaten, delight yourself in the Lord. And say with the psalmist, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. But whatever you do, you cannot ignore the invitation forever. In verse 6 of our chapter, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And Paul echoes the same thing in 2 Corinthians. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. Here is the heart of the invitation. To live, to really live, begin to seek the Lord. Go on a search for him. Settle for nothing less. Give up all the junk food, the things that don't satisfy. Leave them behind and refuse to settle for anything less than the one who can satisfy your soul. The Spirit's invitation requires a response. Everything has been done. The table has been set. It would be disappointing if those who were invited failed to come. Amen.